Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Ask Me Anything, which is a little bit weird as a title, but I hope it works for today. The whole format for today is for anyone to be able to ask me questions around really anything but leadership, operations, execution, culture. Um, I'm working on a new book about the CEO-COO relationship. If you want to ask about the course content that I have in my Invest in Your Leaders course and, and you know which modules are most applicable or some of the get some of the um, the nuggets from those modules happy happy to share. So, any questions that any of you have, just throw your hand up, and I will take them as I see hands going up. That'll be the format. And hello from Estonia. I'm over in Estonia right now. I'm speaking at a conference uh, this week called Mind Valley. So, who's got some questions to start us off? I'll start. I'll start off, Cameron, if that's okay. My name's uh, David Maxwell from uh, Belfast, Northern Ireland. It's great to see everyone. I've just finished my vision there on the thirty first of May presented it uh, to my team. And I guess now we're five, six weeks after the vision day, as we call it. And I, my question is, outside of the norm, Cameron, I mean, how have you shared previous vivid visions in the past, um, just outside the normal marketing channels? Um, so the, the idea with sharing the vivid vision is that you really want to get it socialized with your leadership and your management team first, and then sharing it with all of your employees second. And then rolling it out to all of your suppliers and business partners third, and then rolling it out to all of your customers fourth, and then sharing it to the wider audience of potential customers and potential employees fifth. And then every quarter going back up to the top again and making sure that the leadership team and managers and frontline staff read the Vivid Vision again on on a quarterly basis. So that's really the way I like to do it. I don't really want to put it on my website right away or email it to the list right away. Until I know that my team and my employees and my partners, you know, my lawyer, my accountant, everybody really understands the vivid vision. And then I'll actually be able to roll it out on a much wider basis later. Thank you very much. Of course. And love Belfast. I was over there a couple of years ago. My kids uh, did a whole bunch of Game of Thrones tours and I went in and met them. And then we flipped from Belfast down into the south and, and did another nice tour. I've got family in Sligo, which is up near the north. Good part of the world. Come in. Lovely place. Nice. Thomas, you've got a question. Yeah, thanks a lot. Most businesses, when they start out, the owner, the founders, the CEO is is everybody else too, right? How do you know when you actually need to engage or to get a COO? Where are you calling in from? I'm in New York. Oh, cool. Hey, Thomas. Um, so the question on when do you need a COO, it really comes down to, are you as a leader starting to get overwhelmed in a lot of the higher impact areas of the business, the higher kind of decision-making areas, the the areas that might need a more seasoned, strategic, or senior person to be able to execute on is one question. Second one is, do you have enough stuff on your plate that you really need a second in command, or could you get an executive assistant first, right? I've always said, if you don't have an executive assistant, you are one. So you really need to first get all the administrative work off your plate. That might buy you six months to 12 months before you really need a true second in command. And then the next part of that is, do you need a COO or do you need a VP operations or a director of operations or a general manager or an operations manager? Because you might need a person as a second command to help you with stuff, but it might not necessarily require the COO title 
or the COO compensation pay, right? The, the, the bigger the title we give, that often can lead people towards higher expectations, higher comp packages. You know, your head of finance could be a director of finance or a VP of finance or a finance manager or a CFO. The same with each of the functional areas. Be very careful with giving out titles that are too senior too early and be very cautious. Plus, if you give out the COO title too soon, the VP operations doesn't have a role they can jump into, right? So it's always nice to give them something to chase. And then make sure that the compensation expectations are very clear. Like if you only want to pay $140,000 a year, that is not a COO. That's probably more like a director of operations or at best a lower paid VP of operations, right? So be careful with the title uh, the title creep. Uh, Eric, you got a question. Just to follow up on that, when do you bring in a fractional CFO? Great, great question. Fractional CFO, I believe that all companies, when you get north of you know, one or $2 million, you really can't afford a $200,000 CFO, but you need to have someone other than your accountant looking at your business, looking at your financials to ask you some questions, to maybe give you some advice, but, but often to ask you questions to help you figure out the business or look at the business in a different way to help you optimize for more gross margin or more net profit. So if you can pay that fractional CFO you know, to look at your books and look at your financials on a monthly basis and spend maybe a couple of hours to give you some strategic questions, they might not even be able to give you advice, that can be very powerful. Or you might be able to get somebody to, you know, bounce ideas around with to um, to get them to ask some questions as well. You say dollar value. What if it's the number of accountants you're managing? We're currently dealing with accountants in three different countries. Oh, so you've got a team of accountants that are working for you? Yeah. So you, we've, you got, probably- we've got separate outsourced accountants, one in the U.S., one in Israel, one in India. And we're trying to manage three different sets of taxes, three different sets of end of years, three different sets of annual report. Yeah. Israel reporting is two years totally. after the year is done. India is done April through March, due in September. U.S. is January sure. through December, due in April. It's like, as yeah, a CEO, oh, it is driving me nuts. You're at the stage where you need a fractional CFO to help oversee that for sure, or you need to simplify the business to get away from the complexity. If if getting away from the complexity isn't an option, then you need to start bringing in that fractional CFO to oversee that for sure. And you can often get your accountant or your accounting firm to help you find and hire a CFO or fractional CFO. You may not have the um, the bandwidth internally or the, the deep understanding of that business area to make a decision on who to hire as a fractional CFO, but that's how I would approach it. By the way, if you need some fractional CFOs, I've got a couple of really good firms that have some great fractional CFOs. If you want to drop me an email, I'll put my email in the chat. I'm happy to introduce you and I've introduced them to firms for years. Thank you. Next question. We've got uh, Vassal, you've got a question. Hi, Cameron. Yes, thank you. And uh, hello, folks. Pleasure to be here. Um, I have a very general question, actually. So I'm young to, I'm a new entrepreneur, you could say, um, a young business person. And I'd like to ask, like, through your years of experience, what are the essential things to keep in mind as a COO? And what things would you like to, you know, tell the, 20-year-old self, although you look lovely, but <laughs> like, what would you tell yourself back when you were in your mid-20s? Yeah, great, great question. Where, Vessel, where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from Toronto, Ontario. 
I've, I've lived in Toronto before. I grew up in Sudbury, so I know the market really well. Ah, oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. I'll actually, I'll actually drop uh, one of the chapters from my very first book into the chat for you. It's called The Le- Leadership Lessons to My Younger Self. And these are all the lessons that I wish I'd known when I was in my early 20s that I now know today. Um, so it's lessons after building the companies that I helped build. And I, I journaled for a few months, 20 minutes a day. And I wrote down about 60 different lessons that I really wish I'd known at a younger age. So I shared that with you to read later. But some of the advice I would I would try to give you is um, make sure that you're always on the same page with the strategy and the vision of the CEO or the entrepreneur. So whoever you're working with, always stay, get on the same page and make sure you have ways to stay on the same page so that you're aligned with their vision and strategy. Secondly, is to remember that we all have stuff to work on. You know, none of us have this figured out. Like just a quick show of hands, put your hand up right now, you know, physically put your hand up. If you're on this call and you somehow feel overwhelmed in your day-to-day or you feel like an imposter day-to-day in your role, right? Like we all do. So Vassal, just because you're young doesn't give you the the ability to say, well, I just feel a cop out because I'm young. No, you feel like you're an imposter because we all feel like we're imposters at times in these roles. So every single day, everybody wakes up feeling like this is the biggest thing I've ever done. Uh, And then the third, I guess, would be to always work on continually growing your skills and continuing to grow your confidence as a leader. You know, much like our job as leaders is to grow our people's skills and confidence, our job with ourselves is to continue working on our confidence and our skills as well. And the more that, just keep that in mind. Thank you. And and how do you build this confidence? Do you practice habits? Uh, Like what are some things you'd recommend for me to do to to build this confidence? Yeah, some of it is practicing the habits. Some of it's, you know, if you set three goals for yourself, write down three things you just accomplished, right? If you set, um, you know, three big projects for yourself that you're going to be working on, write down three projects you just got accomplished and you'll feel good about those. If we're always driving towards the horizon, you're never going to be happy. But if you drive towards the horizon and you keep looking in the rearview mirror, then we'll often, you know, start to be happier and build some of that confidence. You know? So th- th- that's how I would be solving it or working on it. Um and the other one is, you know, get yourself involved in mastermind groups, right? We've got a, an organization called the COO Alliance, and we have COOs and directors of operations, VP operations from 17 countries that are members of the COO Alliance, and they have calls with each other every single month. They have a Slack group where they share information every month. They have accountability groups where they meet with each other every month. And that's the way that they keep their confidence level up is with that, that peer group, right? We've actually got some members of the COO Alliance are actually on this call right now. Um, it's kind of good for them just to have that peer group availability. Definitely. Well, thank you very much. And you know, folks, all of you are awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Devin, you got a question. Yes. Hi, my name is Devin. Um, so I'm the CEO of a lighting manufacturing company. And um, we are, I started off with the president. It was just me and him. Um, after a few years of him transitioning from having a third party represent his product to now representing him, it himself. And so my role has grown dramatically in the last couple of years. And um, my ultimate goal is to help build him a foundation of operations so that he can scale his business. But he's also a, a founder and a president that really likes to operate in, in the black or in the green. And so I'm struggling between my energies being pulled away from operations and focused on sales and marketing 
but I'm really trying to help him see the vision and the value in building a sound structure and foundation operationally. And so how do you navigate that with a founder who is just really only sees numbers um, as being valuable and, and, and helping them see the value and maybe pulling, pulling back a little bit so that you can build the operations so that when you scale, you can scale more quickly. When they look at numbers, is it, you know, revenue and profit, or do they look at numbers like employee engagement and customer satisfaction? Numbers, numbers and revenue. Okay. So they're just focused on revenue, revenue, revenue. So start showing them some of the operation. How many employees do you have now? Six. Okay. So and we're yeah, about we're around two million a year. Yeah. So really, when you go from you know one employee to three, from three to ten, from ten to thirty, from thirty to a hundred, those are the different inflection points. And much like you know, how old is the owner of the business today? Uh, fifty-five. Okay. So when, when he was five years old, he was Bob. And when he was 15, he was Bob. And when he's 25, he was Bob. When he's 35. So he's just a different version of this human. But he would have been a horrible manager as a 15-year-old. He would have been a horrible leader as a 25-year-old. He's had to evolve as himself, right? Yeah. The, the company needs to start to evolve to continue to scale as well. But if you're only focused on those numbers, you're missing the opportunity for leverage. You're missing the yeah. opportunity for operational efficiency you're missing the opportunity to get more margin per employee more revenue per employee more customer engagement so it's all about showing him that does he like to read if it's written in hebrew <laughs> yeah well, but yes it, no definitely um i know he's reading a book on on carmax right now yeah there's also some really great books just to read on you know on on where culture will drive an organization or if you can get you know videos that he can watch and listen to that might be helpful as well um, but I would try to get him some exposure to some of that stuff so that he can see the bigger picture as well. Okay. My obsession has always been that if my employees are really happy first, my customers are really happy second, that's where the profit and revenue comes from. Yeah. So the, the number one metric that I measure over all other metrics is how happy are my employees. The number two metric that I measure is how happy are all of my customers. And But if he needs to flip that a little bit, if he's only focusing on the profit and the bottom line, he's missing the point. Yeah, well, and, and when I would say above everything, we value our service. And so everything that we do is always just how can we respond to people as quickly as possible? How can we provide them with the experience and, and service that goes above and beyond? But what my role and what my goal is, is try to optimize our operations so that we're being more efficient and maybe not coming to a head with an issue and then having to deal with it in the moment, but taking the time to think about it. So that way we've considered the issue before it even occurs. So that way when it comes up, we're prepared. Yeah. Um, and if you can put the systems in place that are easy to put in place that are going to help you with that, you win. But I would also lean towards making sure your employees are super happy before your better customer service. Got it. If your employees start getting overworked, they start feeling like, why is the customer so important? What about me? But if they feel like all you care about is them, they're going to care about the customer. So they're going to give you the better customer service, right? You end yeah. up with that result. Okay, great. Thank you. Cool. Um, Alok. Hey, Cameron. Hello, everybody. Nice to meet everybody. I'm Alok Mehta, uh, co-founder and CEO of Brelion. Uh, we're basically um, going down a very ambitious uh, direction, if you will, where we're reinventing uh, the, the VR headset experience without having to wear a headset. 
Uh, so, you know, we're, you talked about inflection points. We just finished our, se our, our seed round and just closed our Series A. Uh, so we're at a, a very distinct inflection point. Um, and actually, I was just curious to understand a little bit more about the, the COO Alliance, uh, kind of the composition there. Is this, you know, does it span the early stage to, you know, Series B type of company? Some of the questions I had are obviously very different from a, a Series B or Series B funded company. So um, if you could speak to that, that, that would be great. So the, the purpose of the CO Alliance is to give second in commands a place for them to meet with each other because there's a bazillion groups for entrepreneurs, right? You've got Techstars and you've got YPO and you've got Vistage and EO and Genius Network and Maverick and Baby Bathwater, all these amazing groups for entrepreneurs. And then there's groups for lawyers and accountants and engineers and doctors, but there was never a mastermind group or community exclusively for the second in command. So that was first. I recognized it when I was the COO for 1-800-GOT-JUNK that I needed a place to be with other COOs as I was scaling 1-800-GOT-JUNK instead of just being in more of these entrepreneurial communities. Um, the makeup of it is you need to do at least $5 million in revenue or have raised $5 million in funding to qualify. So if you've done a Series A or Series B and you've raised at least $5 million or you're on the revenue number, you're, you're on track to be large enough to join. Our biggest member is about a billion, a little over a billion in revenue, but the average size member is around $40 million in revenue. Okay. Um, our youngest member is actually now 21. It used to be 26. Okay. We have a 21-year-old who is CEO of three different companies, which oh blew us away. <laughs> our, our oldest member is 62. Um, we've got about 40% women, 60% men, and we have members from 17 countries. Uh, we have a three-hour event online every month that's live online where we have different themes and formats where we have guest speakers, we have breakout groups. You also are placed into an accountability group with five or six other members, and you get to meet with them on a monthly basis as well, just that small group of five or six. And that gives you the ability to you know, exchange problems and work in that smaller group format with them. And then we also have the Slack group where you get to share information and problems with each other to be able to help each other grow and, and, um, and share those resources. And in addition, we also have two in-person events a year we have one in September and one in April, and those are held in Arizona. That's where you can actually fly in and spend two and a half days in person with all the other COOs, but those are optional to the program. Got it. Got it. Thank you so much for that. And quick follow-up to that, if you can maybe speak to kind of the uh, the composition of hardware versus software, you know, companies in that ecosystem, we're a hardware company initially, so um, yeah, I think that would help me. I would say about 25% are pure play <clears throat> digital. Uh, I'd say about, you know, 30, 40% are you know, pure offline businesses, right? Okay. Where we've got like a chain of restaurants or a chain of nursing homes. And then, you know, the rest are kind of a hybrid, which is most companies are today where they use some stuff digital, they're using apps, tech stocks, whatever. But I'd say only about 20 or 30 are pure play digital companies. We've got some digital agencies. Um, you know, we've got brands, you know, the name of, you know, 15.5 is a member of the CO Alliance. Okay. We have Redirect Health as a member, College Hunks, Hauling Junk. We've got brands that people have seen and know. And then we have brands that you've never heard of, um, or didn't even really, you know, the Sunbrella fabric. If we sit down on any outdoor furniture and that Sunbrella brand is the fabric, their COO is a member. Uh, we've got the largest uh, Pizza Hut franchisor in the world is a member, you know, their second in command. So, and then we've got members from all over the world, from the Philippines and from um, China, from Fiji, from Barbados, kind of crazy. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, Rika. Hello, Cameron. Hello, everyone. 
Okay, so on uh, my continual learning mission, what three podcasts or books would you recommend that every CEO should read in addition to the CEO Alliance podcast that we should all be listening to? Wow. What and Rick is actually a member of the CEO Alliance as well. Um, wow, what podcast would I recommend that COOs listen to? So I, I mean, I, clearly, I love the Second in Command podcast for you know because it's it's our podcast and we have you know interviewed amazing COOs from all over the world uh, from some really great brands. So definitely subscribe and listen to the Second in Command podcast. I really like uh, the My First Million podcast with Sam Parr and um, Sean Purry. I love their thoughts around um, business and optimization and growth. And um, I love seeing that they are kind of forward thinking and strategic. So I, I get a lot of value out of their stuff. I, I definitely pick and choose through some of Tim Ferriss's um, episodes. I think he's done a really good job with um, a lot of his stuff. Um, but operationally, I love some of Lewis Howe's content as well. I think he does a great job with stuff around leadership and, and stuff that we can bring back into our teams. I love some of Jordan Harbinger's uh, business guests as well, but I think there's not a lot that's around the COO and operational depth. Um, mm -hmm. But I really do like the Second Fan podcast. I mean, we have 215 episodes that of of brands that you know, like Bumble and Shopify, and um, you know the Cleveland Indians, and you know some really cool brands, blockchain. So uh, definitely absorb that one for sure. Great, thank you. Of course, uh, Andy, you've got a question. Yeah, my question would be in my role today as a COO, um, I have a lot of I have two founders that are hands off on the business. So I actually run a lot of the operations. And so my question is, what uh, analytics or visualization techniques have you used successfully to show the founders of what is happening and what is going on in the business? So the business is successful and we're doing well, but I wanted to make sure that they have full visibility into my day to day. In a, in a very strategic way. So any any advice there? I'm actually going to ask the group on this one because we've got kind of, I believe in the wisdom of the crowds and we've got, you know, 50 people out there that are, um, you know, probably running businesses. Like I know, Amber, you probably got some good thoughts around this. Matthew, I know you probably do as well. Just drop in the chat, what are you using for dashboard software, business analytics software that, um, you know, drop, drop that into the chat and let's see what everybody is using. Yeah, Power BI, Mosaic, Domo. Domo is certainly going to come up a lot. Power BI is certainly going to come up a lot. Anybody using any dashboard software? Power BI again. Domo. Those tend to be the ones. Yeah, Power BI as well. So I think the question really is, is less of what software do we need to represent the data that we have and more do we really understand how to actually know what data to be reporting inside of our businesses, right? So think about you know, what car do we drive to, you know, around the city every day? So let's say that you drive a, you know, a BMW 5 Series and, you know, you're, you're driving around, you've got a dashboard in front of you. If the BMW's computer put all of the data that it measured up on the dashboard, you would be overwhelmed because there'd be too much data. So right in the middle of the dashboard is this huge dial for the speed, right? And you look at that constantly as you're driving. And in kind of the bottom right-hand corner, just slightly in your view, is this tiny little gas gauge that lights up orange or red when you're below a quarter tank to go, hey, you're almost out of gas. And, and there's some other dashboard stuff there, too, that you might need, and it might light up if you need to know. What you, what you need to know with your business is kind of the same. 
So at your leadership team level, you don't need all 300 data points being represented for everybody. You need to have two or three from sales and two or three from operations and two or three from finance and two or three from marketing and two or three from customer. You need to be a leadership team dashboard that kind of rolls up. And then you need to have that dashboard displayed in such a way that you can see how you're doing against your goal, how you're doing against historicals. Are you green, yellow, or red against your goal or historicals, right? Who's responsible for that metric? And then let's say that marketing's three metrics on the dashboard all show up as yellow one week. You're going to sit down with marketing. You're going to open up the hood and you're going to look at all 30 metrics that marketing looks at. But you don't want to have all 30 of marketings and all 20 of ops and all 17 of sale. Like that's where most businesses go wrong is they're, they're, you, it doesn't matter if you're using Powered BI or Doma or whatever. If you're representing too much data or the wrong data or all of the data is the same size and color, you're completely missing the point. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you for some of these tips and tools that people are dropping in here as well. Jerry just dropped in um, something on this. The other thing to think about with data is are you looking at predictive indicators or you know lagging or, or leading indicators, right? So there's there's different kinds of data points that you want to be looking at in your business as well. Uh, Gerard, you've got a question. And where are you calling in from? Uh, so I'm calling in from New York. I'm uh, from base, but I'm from uh, County Derry in Ireland. Awesome. So uh, lovely to meet you all. So uh, I am the CEO at wayleader.com, uh, the world's leading uh, parking management software. So I have a question around meetings and structuring meetings. So uh, in, in, in your take, Cameron, what is the best way to structure meetings and ensuring that everyone sticks to that structure? Yeah, it's funny. I actually just did a call with a bunch of our COOs um, about an hour ago from our CEO Alliance. And we were talking about one of my books called Meetings Suck. I just dropped the link into the um, the chat. I highly recommend that you have all of your leaders and all of your managers actually read that book. And then I'm also going to reference my course called Invest in Your Leaders. One of the 12 modules in Invest in Your Leaders is on how to run highly effective meetings and how to get people engaged in those meetings. So first off, when it comes to meetings, every meeting has a different purpose and outcome, right? You have your daily huddles, your weekly leadership team meeting, your one-on-one -on -one coaching meetings, your financial review meeting, you've got your strategy meeting, you've got your quarterly meetings, your annual you know, planning meetings. So you have different kinds of meetings. So it's hard to say, like, how do you organize a meeting? They're very different, right? How do I, it's kind of like saying, how do I plan food? Well, is it dinner for four? Or is it Thanksgiving dinner? Or is it, you know, lunch for two kids before we're scrambling off to soccer practice? So we need to understand what meeting are we talking about? What's the size of our organization? Who's coming to the meeting? What's the purpose of the meeting? And then it kind of goes out from there. But in the Invest in Your Leaders course and in my book, Meeting Suck, I give you the tools to actually run all of those types of meetings. And I give you um, the tools on how to get your employees engaged in meetings. And then I talk about the overall themes for meetings. So the overall themes for meetings are meetings have to start exactly on time, just like we did today. Meetings have to stop five minutes prior to the scheduled ending time, which gives people time to walk down the hall, talk to their assistant, get a cup of coffee, go to the bathroom and start the next phone call or meeting on time. I book all my meetings for half the time that I first think about booking them for. So if I book it for an hour, I book it for 30 minutes or let's get together for a day, I book it for half a day. Um, I control the idle chatter, right? We have a moderator, a timekeeper in a parking lot. So I kind of go through some of those normal, the, 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 the meeting norms, but then I do cover how to, um, how to run each of those proper meetings. And I also talk about how do you engage 
the quieter, analytical, more amiable people that often don't say much when you've got your sales guy talking over them all the time. It's It teaches you how to actually get people engaged. And my rule of thumb is, if you're inviting them to a meeting, they better be engaged or you better be engaging them. Otherwise, don't invite them to the meeting and don't waste their time, right? So we talk a little bit about that in the book and also in the course too. That's a great question. Nathan, you're up. Nathan Young. Hey, Cameron. Uh, first, thanks for the work you're doing and the stuff and uh, building this community and doing the podcast. I really appreciate it. Of course. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit and maybe myself, so I hope you'll forgive me. But um, my co-author and I are working on a book called How to Be Second. Uh, we're really exploring like the identity of the people who would show up on this call and the people who you talk to all the time and like title or not, business or not, and and sort of the difference between like second and second in commands. And um, I'm wondering if there's an opportunity to potentially collaborate with you, even just getting an interview for our data. Um, we actually already do we're kind of fanboying, but we do a breakdown of the second in command podcast every other week in our newsletter already and, and pull things from there. So anyway, that's my question. Yes, there's absolutely a chance to collaborate. Definitely ping me. I'll give you my email address, Cameron at CameronHerald.com. I just dropped the title for uh, the book that I'm working on right now. I just sent it off to the editors. It's about 200 pages, and it's all around the second in command and how to unleash the power of the COO. But I would absolutely um, happily be interviewed for your book. We should also get some of our members of the COO Alliance uh, to be in there as well, and we should even get you to kind of content some of that so that the COOs and the the idea of you know, just hiring a second command is one thing, but it's going to be very lonely for them, right? And how do we connect them with all the others? So happy to uh, to collaborate, to talk to you, to be interviewed for the book, for sure. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And can you also make sure that I get a copy of your your newsletter so I can get, I'd love to be able to see the, um, the synopsis that you're doing as well. That'd be cool. Yes, absolutely. Cool. Thank you. Um, and b- by the way, as well, it, c- considering you're in this space, if you want to set yourself up as a an affiliate for our course, um, there might be an opportunity to even set you up as an affiliate to have you start marketing our course to your client list. And I'll send you the link to the course. But if that's of interest to you, we could talk about that offline too. 100%. It is absolutely on my list. <laughs> okay, for sure. All right, next question. Yeah, what are your thoughts on the Great Resignation? So that was a question by Jerry Larson. I think it is about fucking time, excuse my language, that so many employees quit working for shitty companies, doing shitty jobs, and having to drive 40 minutes there and 40 minutes back for the privilege. I think it's about time that they quit. And I think it's going to be really, really hard for average companies to survive because these companies' employees are going to get to go work for great companies based in other parts of the world. So I was talking to a company the other day who's based in Ohio. He just lost one of his key employees to a company based in Luxembourg, and he didn't even know where Luxembourg was. So he had to look up where the hell is this country that I just lost an employee to because the world is now very flat and COVID accelerated that. So I think it's about time that we had the great resignation because I think a lot of people felt very trapped working at very average companies and saw no other way out. I also think that there is a little bit of a swing back right now where employees are also realizing they don't have all the cards because some of the big companies are doing some layoffs. I think that's really healthy that we have the great resignation happening in times of maybe a bit of a recession coming which at least balances out some of the equilibrium. Um, I heard a saying years ago that if the rate of change outside your business is greater than the rate of change inside your business, you're out of business. So think about that when it comes down to the great resignation as well, is that it's really 
up to us right now to make the changes inside of our business so that we can actually attract and retain these great people, right? Versus having to react to it and think something's wrong. So I think it's great. I think it's about time. Who's else got a question? Devin, you got a question. Yeah, so I, I guess I could keep going. Okay, so um, I, as I mentioned, I'm really trying to build more structure and foundation. And I guess another point would, what would your strategy be when you're, um, you know, constantly trying to grow new systems, and then you're being met with a founder who is constantly diverting you away from that, and in, in, in your effort to like for example, like make weekly meetings or every other week meetings with the team and then them come to you and say, great idea, but throw that to the side. We're focusing on this now and having a culture where constantly reprioritizing causes like strategies to go to the wayside. Yeah, I think I think you're just getting to the stage where the company needs to start evolving, right? Where the company can't just be the way it was. You're moving from being a teenager to the adolescent and the company needs to evolve a little bit. And our job is to show the leader that it's time to evolve. I would caution you to be careful about systems, systems, systems for the sake of systems, systems, systems. Yeah. Right. But we need to put systems and processes in place that are easy to put in place, that allow us to make our employees happier, that allows us to make our customers happier, that allow us to make more money and profit. Otherwise, those systems can really bog us down yeah. when we need to still be small and entrepreneurial. Because you are still a six-person company that can be nimble and entrepreneurial and and kind of wing it, but he needs to decide, or you and he need to decide how much how entrepreneurial do we need to be, how much bobbing and weaving are we going to do versus um, how kind of uh, how much can, can can we get more organized in systems? So there's, there's a bit of a balancing approach, right? So I've always said that it's about outcome over process. That at the end of the day, if if I see a great employee who I just know I have to hire, fuck the interview process. I'm just going to hire the great employee. You know, Ray Dalio said that if you see a snake in the grass, you don't write a, an SOP. You don't write a system or a playbook to kill the snake. You pick up a stick and you bash it over the head. So be, be careful to not be putting in place. Too, and I'm a very big fan of systems, by the way. I've built lots of franchise companies. So building 1-800-GOT-JUNK, Gerber Auto Collision and Boyd Auto Body, College Pro Painters were all about systems and all about easy to execute systems and all about systems allowed us to scale. But we would also short circuit a system very quickly um, if it allowed us to get to the outcome really quickly as well. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, I'm, I'm trying to put in place touch bases and connecting with the employees that we have. And I, I think it's really important to make them feel valued by connecting mm -hmm. with them on a weekly basis to just say like, What's working? What's not? What can we celebrate? Yeah. What are you struggling with? And I'll have these on the calendar. And then he's like, clear your calendar for two weeks. Like you're not meeting with anybody. I need you to do this now. And I'm like, yeah, I would, I would step backwards. Well, you know, you know where you're going with then is in, in the invest in your leaders course. And this is not like a it's supposed to be a pitch for the invest in your leaders course, but in the invest in your leaders course, um, there's two modules that be would be really powerful for both you and your CEO to both watch. It's me yeah. teaching the content. The one is on doing coaching. It's how to coach your employees and how to do delegation. Actually, here's the core modules that'll be helpful for him. Coaching, delegation, time management, project management, and one-on-one -on -one meetings. Those, those are five of the 12 modules in the course. Um, and even running effective meetings. I think it would be very helpful for him to devour that content, for you to devour that content. 
because that's going to really give you the foundational blocks to scale. Yeah. Um, and keeping it entrepreneurial as you do, right? Yeah, I appreciate that. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Of course. Uh, Daniel, you got a question. Yeah. Hi, Cameron. Uh, nice to meet you. I'm, this is the first time here for me and uh, nice to meet you all. Uh, I would like to ask the question that, yeah, uh, I'm the CEO of Snapsoft Limited, uh, which is a Hungarian software development agency of 70 people. And I'm looking forward to hire my first CEO as, as I don't have a CEO, I'm doing the CEO job now. Uh, so what I would like to achieve is that hire him or her like until the end of the year. My question would be is that I would like to manage this from my network. Uh, that's my first point. And uh, everybody is asking for equity, which is not a problem for me, actually. I'm just quite uh, curious about it. Is this a standard uh, that you could just hire a CEO for, for equity or in investing mode or something like that? Or would I be able to manage this uh, for pure salary? And, and what would you recommend regarding that? Uh, I know that it is Hungary and it's a different ball game. I've, I've coached companies in 26 countries. I've also done paid speaking events on every single continent, including Antarctica. So I'm very you know, comfortable with working with clients around the world. Um, you do not have to give out equity to get good employees. Gen Y has gotten very good at asking and Gen X and baby boomers have got really bad at saying no. And we need to get better at saying no. I'm going to pay you fairly. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to create a good company, a good culture, but you don't have to give out equity. 20 years ago to get equity in a company, it's more like 24 years ago, prior to the rise of the first dot-com area from 97 to 2000, prior to that, to get equity in a company, you had to buy it on a stock market. For most employees now, there's never going to be an equity payout. There's never going to be a transaction. There's not going to have enough that's going to be meaningful. So what I try to do is pay people very fairly for the work that I'm getting them to do. And I try to build a company that can't just give out equity. So I try to build a company that actually has good gross margins, has a good company culture and can pay people fairly. So I'm I'm more of the mindset of don't give out equity unless you absolutely desperately need to. Appreciate that. Yeah, when, when I left 1-800-GOT-JUNK 15 years ago, Brian replaced me with the former president of Starbucks US. And she came in for no equity, for a solid remuneration package and no real long-term bonuses but she got to build the, the second best company in canada and she thought it was a cute little company she was the former president of starbucks us and she came in for no equity so you don't have to give out equity but you have to build a really damn good culture you have to build an amazing place to work um vasil hi cameron i have another question for you so this this has been a dilemma i'm always thinking about it sometimes i don't sleep so Maybe you can help me. Um, Adam Volta, we're working on a Nouvelle Auto Antifan system. You know, folks, it takes less than 90 seconds to steal any 2020 car. Car thefts have been over the roof because cars have literally become computers on wheels. So we're working on automotive anti-theft. And now here's here's the dilemma. Because we we offer a security product, I find it really difficult when pitching it to angels, to other tech companies, to, to folks in general, because of the very strict confidentiality uh, standards within our company. Uh, right? There's just so much I, you can say. I get it. Let me, yeah, let me, let me answer That's this. That's my so question. I have, yeah. yeah, great. I have a really good, I have a really solid answer for this. I only give answers based on my experience of having done something 
or having worked with companies that have done those things, I never give an opinion. And I have no experience at working with early stage pitching VCs. So I'm going to respectfully say, I don't know, I can't help you. Anything I tell you would be an opinion and opinions are like assholes. We've all got one, but I don't think opinions are valid. I would go and talk to companies that have raised money in the tech space and ask them that question and you'll get lots of experience share. But I think it's very dangerous to share opinions or to give opinions. Thank you. Of course. Uh, Kiba. Hey, oh my gosh, you're better than all my substitute teachers growing up. They would jack up my name. So thanks, Cameron. <laughs> um, <laughs> Kiva is one of my favorite brands. I, I donate to a, a company called Kiva. It's an organization that helps entrepreneurs. Yeah, I should have coined my name as a dot com long ago. I could have made some money, but <laughs> but thank you for like all that you do. And I just consume all your resources. Meeting Suck is like one of my most favorite books. But my question is, and it's been interesting listening to everyone because I really serve in more of a fractional capacity, and I would really say more as a DOO, just based on the company's revenue sizes. And it's primarily been online businesses, but it's interesting hearing some of the things Devin has shared and others, they're the same problems. They're just at smaller businesses. So I'm interested to know if you have a piece of advice for someone like myself who is really trying, like most of my business owners are between 1 million and five. And so keeping them on track, because it's like squirrel, oh, this, so many of the same problems. But being that we're not full-time employees and not fully in the business, except maybe 40, 60 hours a month. What would be something that you would share to keep them focused, but also keep us moving the needle forward? A couple things. A great question, by the way. I used to have this stuffed squirrel. Uh, I got this like taxidermied squirrel, and I used to sit it behind me over my shoulder when I was doing coaching calls. And when the entrepreneur got disfocused, I'd move and he'd see a squirrel. It was just hysterical. <laughs> Matt, did I ever have the squirrel when I was coaching you guys? What was that Matt Hunt? Did I ever have that squirrel when I was working with you guys? No, I can't remember. <laughs> we, awesome. I, we spent so much time together. There are too many stories. Yeah, re remind me. Send me a note later, and I'll find the picture of that squirrel. It'll be a good one to share on on uh, LinkedIn. Okay, I've got a I've got a photo of the squirrel from behind me. So, um, Kiba, what I would do is is a couple things. One, I would have the entrepreneurs read the book Vivid Vision. The book Vivid Vision is something that will completely align and inspire the entire organization. It's being used by companies all over the world. It's got hundreds, I think it's like seven or 800 reviews on Amazon right now. It's, it's really, really well received. And it's all about getting them to describe their company three years from now, as if it's completed three years from now, and it becomes a four or five page written description of what their company looks like, acts like, and feels like three years in the future. Okay. So when they describe their company that way, it then helps the team to figure out how can we make that come true, right? So I'll actually share with you an example of one I'll put the the, uh, the vivid vision for the CO Alliance in here. This is the one that I wrote three years ago. So I wrote this and I launched it three years ago in December 31st, 2022. This is what the CO Alliance will look like, act like, and feel like. I'm actually just getting ready to launch uh, in September, October. I'll launch the 2025 vivid vision, but that's one tool. Second one is to remind them that the more that they grow their employees, the more their company will grow, right? There to flip the org chart upside down. So the CEO is at the bottom, supporting the VPs, supporting the employees, supporting the customers, not at the top telling them what to do and holding them accountable. But if they can grow them, I guess this is another you know uh, explanation as to why my course should be used by all of them. 
But if they can actually grow the skills of their employees so that they grow the um, the, the leadership skills, the situational leadership skills, the, um, the coaching skills, the classroom teaching, the effective meetings, if they can really focus on growing their people, their people will go through brick walls for them. And then third, if they can really care about their employees as humans. And remember that every single one of those employees is struggling with something at home. They're struggling with a parent. They're struggling with a kid. They're struggling with a spouse. They're struggling with a pet. They're struggling with debt. They're struggling with the human condition of just being. If they can actually care about their people more than they care about the business, their people will care about the business way more than they do today. And and it's those are all kind of a little bit counterintuitive, but I would be really focusing them on that. The other one, the last one will be get them to focus on the critical few things versus the important many, right? There's a few core things that if they focus on those will move the needle versus all the busy work that we tend to get bogged down with. Awesome. Thank you so much. Of course. You're, and where are you calling in from? I'm, right now I'm in South Carolina at the beach because, you know, we work from anywhere. <laughs> I'm I'm in Estonia right now, so I follow you. I'm there. Okay. All right. Um, let's go with Kevin. Hey, Cameron. Nice to see you again. Um, so I run a small uh, cybersecurity consulting company. And my question for you is, how do COOs see cybersecurity within the organization, the CISO, and what do they expect from the cybersecurity arm of the company? As I know what the CEOs think. What do the COOs see? I'm going to have to say I don't know there either. Um, something, again, that I haven't been that involved with. And because I left operational life 15 years ago, I don't think I have a real good grasp on it. I'll give you an answer that's similar in a way. It's just in terms of, of overall risk assessment for the company. What do we care about? What we really care about is stacking up all the potential risks. So maybe all the potential cybersecurity risks that we have thinking about them as to like, what's the percent chance that any of those are really going to happen? And then what's the easy solutions to put in place that that give us the highest return on our people, time and money, so that we're mostly protected? I think it's I think the good COOs will avoid the complicated solutions, the very expensive solutions, the solutions for threats that like we were told one time by a risk assessment company that we needed to have a, an earthquake proof, vibration proof floor in our server room. And we're like, hold on a second. We're in junk removal, for God's sakes. Like if our servers go down, if the building crashes, like we're in freaking junk removal. It's not like we have planes in the air. There's no brain surgery happening. So we just decided not to spend the $70,000 on the earthquake proof, vibration proof floor because the threat was kind of minimal. There were other things that we thought were bigger threats. So I'd say that that's probably how they look at it. But well, I, think I'm on the, I think I'm on the right track then, because that's exactly what I do is, is determine the, the risk levels and advise, uh, not the maybe not the easiest to, to, to knock off, but the most doable, most important. Here's what's yeah. going to get you return on, on your limited resources to spend on cybersecurity. Yeah, because we really only, all of our companies have the same three inputs. We all have people, right, our employees. We all have time, like days or weeks and months in front of us, and we all have money. Our job is to get the highest return on investment of each of those investments. How do I get the highest return on my people? How do I get the highest return on the number of days or, or months in front of us? And how do I get the highest return on the money? And, and the key is to make the easiest decisions that stack up, because I believe momentum creates momentum, right, versus perfection. Um, somehow we actually booked this call only for 50 minutes, but I'm going to go for another four. We'll wrap up at 7.55, which is five minutes prior to the top of the hour. 
So we've got time for another couple of quick questions. We've got time for Brandy, and then we've got one more for Jared, and then we'll wrap it up. Thanks, Cameron. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, CEOs are, are by nature very creative. They're often wonderful relationship builder people, but they can have a hard time letting go, right? They Especially founder CEOs. I work for a company um, with co-founders uh, and... Um, and my CEO is a, a wonderful visionary, but in addition, it becomes a, a challenge sometimes with um, making sure that she or the team uh, are actually more, I'm sorry, that the team is more solution focused. So when the team runs into a problem, they will say like, okay, I have this problem. Here you go, CEO, fix it for me. And then she does, right? My role is to help break that. But do you have any advice to help me accelerate that yep. so that we can get into a better spot? Yep. It's very similar to raising kids. You know, we all went through this. <laughs> You know, so when you when you when you're raising young children, you do everything for them. You pour the glass of juice, you make every sandwich, you make every egg. And at some point you're like, wait a second, kid, pick up your own toys, put your own toys in the toy box, make your own bed, brush your like I used to have to brush my kids' teeth, teach them how to brush their teeth, how to do their own shower, right? Our job is to grow our children to become happy, healthy, independent adults so they can get the fuck out of the house. Our job is <laughs> Our job as leaders is to do the same with the CEO. We have to grow the CEO's skills to be a better executive, to be a better chief energizing officer, to be better at delegating, to be better at growing people. Our job is to grow our employees so they can make decisions, so they can make decisions aligned with core values, so they can make decisions aligned with core purpose within their budgets, and to have confidence in their decisions and to support them. So it's a skill. And I actually talk about that. By the way, it's, it's really important that you should get Three, I would get three to five of your managers going through the Invest in Your Leaders course. Anybody who's a COO, this is the stuff we talk about all the time at the CEO Alliance. You should really look at getting yourself involved in that. Um, but, but tell the CEO to really, really work at growing people, growing their confidence, growing their skills, and not doing it for them. Right? Years ago, my, my, he was 15 at the time. Son came to me and said, hey, dad, can you make me an egg? I said, yeah, I can make you an egg. I went out to the kitchen. And I said, grab two eggs out of the fridge. He goes, I only want one egg. I said, I'm going to make you an egg. You're going to make me an egg. And he started laughing. I said, grab the frying pan, put some butter in the frying pan about this much, swirl it around. Here's how you crack an egg. Okay, you crack an egg. And I literally did it. And then we sat down and ate an egg together. The next day I came in and he was making an omelet from scratch. I'm like, where'd you learn how to do an omelet? He goes, well, I knew you weren't going to do it. So I looked it up on YouTube. I'm like, Good for you. But we need to do that with our employees, right? To, to always to always do it is like making lunch for them until they're 35 years old and that gets old real fast. It, it does. It's just a challenge getting like the, the team to do one thing and then the CEO um, aligning. But I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Get the team, get the team and the CEO both going through the course and they'll both learn how to coach and how to be coached. They'll both learn about one-on-one -on -one coaching. They'll both learn about delegation, some strong skills in there for both. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Yep. Gerard, you've got a question. Thanks. I uh, love that, Brandy. Um, and uh, Cameron, whenever you were at 1-800-GOT-JUNK and uh, where you and Brian Scudamore were two parts of an arrowhead um, at, as COO and CEO, whenever you had uh, an ideological difference uh, in certain things, do you have any anecdotal insights or thoughts um, uh, briefly uh, on, on how you work things out? Uh, from those on a scenario uh, in, a, in, a, in an isolated scenario, for instance? 
Oh, for sure. Well, first off, Brian and I were best friends three three months before I joined him. He was best man at my wedding. So we had a, we had an unfair advantage where we had been in a CEO mastermind group together for four years as part of the entrepreneurs organization. He was best man at my wedding three months before I joined him to start working with him as a COO. So we had an extraordinary amount of trust, an extraordinary amount of, of uh, respect for each other. We, we were friends and we did shit together. So we we leaned back on that relationship a lot. We went for runs in the morning. We went for beers together. We hung out with each other's families. Like we really spent time together as people because we liked each other as people. And we leaned heavily on that relationship first. We had some coaches. Uh, we worked with a couple of relationship coaches who worked with us on communication and um, rebuilding trust. We would do a lot of like walk and talks where we would disconnect from the office and go for a walk. We'd go for runs together and just disconnect. But yeah, we just, I think leaning on the trust and leaning on the relationship is what we did most to get us through the tough times. Beautiful. Thank and you. by the way, one, yeah, one of the other modules in the Invest in Your Leaders course is conflict management. It talks about how to actually manage conflict in a really healthy way. So, all right, everybody, hopefully that was helpful for all of you. I just wanted to do an ask me anything for all the amazing second in commands out there, COOs. Subscribe to this second in command podcast. Definitely look at joining the CEO Alliance if you're uh, 5 million or greater. For sure, check out the Invest in Your Leaders course. But most of all, remember, none of this matters. None of this matters. We're all going to die. This is just what we do to make money. Let's have some fun along the journey because this is just what we do to make a buck. So have fun, everybody. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.